Hello and welcome to Waypoint Church. My name's Jim, one of the leaders at the church and uh, really, really happy that you're engaging with us today, whether it be the church online platform, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, social media, however it is you are engaging with God's word. We love it that you are engaging with the Waypoint Church ministry uh, and doing so in that particular way. If you are perhaps a bit of a ninja watcher, you're kind of just watching from afar, um, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. Please um, just send us an email, get in contact with us via our website. We'll help kind of make you perhaps feel a little bit more at home with us, get to meet some of the church family a bit more as well. Kind of bit of information for you. Um, first thing is that obviously this weekend would have been our church weekend away. We've done the last three years of being up to a field in uh, Lockley near Romsey and we've spent time worshipping, got around a campfire, uh, having massive barbecues, uh, having curry and have a few drinks and some fun and some games as well all together as a church family and it's been such a great way those last few years to get to know other people and to kind of grow together as well. Uh, this year we were double booked so we weren't able to go and then obviously COVID happened and I think as well with this weather uh, we would have been washed out right so I think we, we dodged the bullet a little bit there um, but next year we've booked it in so we'd love for you to get involved with us again next year the end of August the bank holiday weekend 2021 book it into your diaries now into your calendars uh, it's a great place to know uh, and get to know other people especially if you're new there are quite a lot of new people that's joining the church in the last year or so so it's one opportunity that is to kind of hang out together if you don't like camping in tents there are cabiny type things on site as well but we'll give you more information as time uh, goes on and also just uh, the last thing before we worship together some of you may already know the sad news that um, this week Pete Braxton passed away uh, Pete was an amazing man of God Pete and Sharon impacted so many people's lives over so many different many years as well in lots of different ways and events and ministries and stuff through church they are incredible people Pete was an incredible man of God uh, such a godly loving kind gentleman as well and um, I really know that Sharon's appreciated your, your prayer and support over the last few days but continue to do that please continue to pour out your love on Sharon and the family if you didn't know them just pray for them from afar uh, and keep them in your in your prayers at, uh, when you do pray um, yeah, let's uh, let's worship together. Let's worship God together. Let's um, just stand in his presence as we do that. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your incredible love uh, for us. Thank you that uh, right now you are with us. Whatever situation we, we may be in, whether that's painful, whether that is reflective, whether that is joyful, whether that is uncertain, we, we thank you, God, that we come to your, into your presence Jesus Christ and you just continue to love us you continue to love to hear from us love to hear our worship and our praise thank you that your word says that as we worship you inhabit our praise father just do that um, even more so at this time Lord I pray in your powerful name amen it's my privilege uh, today to introduce our guest speaker uh, she's a friend of Kathy and I, but she's also a very gifted and anointed lady. She was previously a minister of a church in Worthing and has recently taken up the to become the director of a Christian charity called Restored. She's going to be tackling uh, a very challenging chapter in the Old Testament of Judges 19, but she does it with such uh, power and and finesse and insight that we are going to be really blessed by that. So here's Becca. Be open to God and enjoy. Waypoint 
Church. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real privilege to spend some time with you and to take a look at the Bible. My name's Becca um, and I'm the director of an organisation called Restore that exists to equip the church to recognise and respond to domestic abuse in its community. And I'll come back to that a little bit later on. But I'd like to start by sharing a story that is really foundational to some of what we do. And actually, I'd say foundational to a, a lot of who I am as a person and the mission that I feel that God has given me. And it's an unusual story. It's a story that we find in Judges chapter 19. And it's a story that I would be surprised if you've heard very many sermons on. It's a story that I would almost guarantee you've never found in a children's version, you know, like a Bible storybook, because it's a pretty nasty story. And actually, just before we go any further, it's worth having a heads up that this story is pretty gruesome. It's pretty nasty. Um, and it's worth just preparing ourselves before we enter into stories like that, because they can be painful and they can be hurt. And it, yet it matters, actually, that we can find where God is in the midst of it. Where's God in the midst of the pain? Where's God in the midst of the suffering? And what does he have to say to us today in the UK, 2020? What is God's message in this story that is, a, you know, part of history from 3000 years ago? Where is it? But actually, before we do that, can I just take a moment for us to pray um, and to ask God to be with us in this place? Father we come to you and we just want to say thank you for this phenomenal history of your people that you've given us which enables us to get to know you better to understand your heart for the world to understand actually how even this great history is relevant to us in today's day and in today's world. And so, Father, as we enter, we pray that we would just be able to hear your voice through the pages of your word. We'd be able to hear your voice through my voice, that I wouldn't get in your way. That as we wrestle with things that are difficult and things that are tough, that you would meet us in that place and you would protect our hearts and yet challenge us all at the same time. Father, we love you and we come to you this morning. Amen. Amen. So let's carry on. Now you see this story that I want us to have a look at that we find in Judges 19, I think would make a very interesting, if slightly gruesome film. I think if Netflix were to make a box set out of this film, they'd begin at the end and they'd set it up as a teaser for the rest of the film. One of those films where you discover literally the body and then you spend the rest of it investigating what on earth has happened and what has got here and so actually let me start at the end before I go back to the beginning and we'll see what the beginning of this box set this story might set up as the you know the great dilemma that we're faced with so I'm going to pick this up in Judges 19 verse 29 now the story goes when he reached home we don't know who the man is but when he reached home he took a knife and cut up his concubine, limb by limb, into 12 parts and sent them into all the areas of Israel. And everyone who saw it was saying to one another, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Just imagine, we must do something. So speak up. Like, it's a horror story. What is going on? Who is this man? Who's this the body? Why is he sending it all around Israel? What is going on? We can see that the people of Israel are horrified by what's going on. This is not a normal day to be receiving letters and, you know, parcels in the post with body parts. This is not a normal day. What on earth is going on? What is this story doing in the Bible? What does it teach us? What does it tell us? And actually, what does it might mean that we might need to do in the world that we live in? Because it is a disturbing scene, isn't it? 
Like, it is the stuff of a quite highly rated movie if Netflix were to put it on or, or any other film producers do exist. You know, if anybody else did. But what is it doing? It matters, actually, that we do go back to the beginning. It matters that we go back and try to gather the evidence to find out what is going on. And so, actually, if we go back to the beginning, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you because it's quite long and it takes a while, and I suspect you've already had it read. But actually, if we go back to the beginning, we find that the two key characters, we find out who he is, and actually we find out who she is. And he is a Levite. He's a man of high position, a fine upstanding man. He's a priest. So if he's a Levite, that means he's a priest. So he'd have been really well respected, a solid, you know, gentleman in, in society. And she is his concubine. Now, a concubine is like a secondary wife. You know, all of the she gets none of the perks, but all of the like she gets to give what she needs to give. He gets what he wants from her, but he doesn't need to give so much back. And so this story starts with these two people and he's up here and she's down here, really. But what happens next is extraordinary, particularly when we consider the times that we're living in 3000 years ago in the Middle East, because the Bible really swiftly tells us that she leaves him. Right. So there's this Levite, there's this concubine. And then the Bible says she leaves him and she goes back to live with her dad. But this is where the story already begins to need some investigation, because depending depending on the version of the Bible that you are reading, you will read three very different things. You see, if you read it in one version, it says, but his concubine became angry with him and then she went back to live with her dad. But if you read it in another version, it says, but she was unfaithful to him and then she went to live with her dad. And in yet another version, it says this, and his concubine played the whore against him. What an extraordinary difference like variation in what's going on in this story they're such totally different stories aren't they and if we're ever to understand what goes on at the end the beginning is totally and absolutely critical which is it because the these early verses these early sentences in the story set us up to understand in a particular way all that comes next now, the Bible doesn't tell us in any of the versions what he might have done to make her angry but to know that she was angry and went home is one thing. To think that she was a whore is something else entirely. In one situation, he, she's kind of being set up as this woman who's, you know, her husband has done something pretty grim to make her leave him. And the other one, well, it's almost like perhaps she brought a whole load of stuff on herself because of her behaviour. I wonder what's going on in those times. And I wonder why there's so many different versions of this same verse in the Bible. And the, the reason is complex. You see, on one level, there's two ways we can look at this. And one is to go, well, what was the original? What did the first person who ever wrote the story say? And the truth is, we're not entirely sure. You see, the original version would have been written in Hebrew. And that version has got lost. But what we do have is a, so is a translation to Greek, which is the earliest version we have of it. And then we have a later, like, retranslation back into Hebrew. And those two are very different. The Greek says she was angry and the Hebrew says she was unfaithful or that she was a whore, depending quite on how you... And I'm not going to get into all the Hebrew roots and the Greek roots. It will bore you. I'll get muddled and it will be confusing. But that, like, that's enough to know that. So that's one thing. And that doesn't really clear it up. So then we need to go to the next level and go, well, what makes sense? Which of those would make the most sense in this story? You see, if you go back 3,000 years to the Middle East, you need to understand that everyone lived in this honour and shame culture. And so actually for this woman to have left her husband at all was pretty 
serious. It would have even been potentially considered unfaithful to leave him at all. Even if she, even if there was no other man involved, even if it's only going back to her father's house. And maybe that's where some of the confusion comes in. You see, that's part of it. But as to whether or not it could be the final version, the version where she prostitutes herself or she whores herself, it's pretty unlikely because the honour and shame culture of the time meant that that would have been totally and utterly unacceptable in a way that's hard to imagine living in our Western world. Like we know that it's not good, but we can't begin to imagine just how unacceptable it was. In fact, the Bible has shows that the codes of the time, the, the rules that were laid down was that to be unfaith- like sexually unfaithful, to be a prostitute. Well, those were actions that would have ended up actually with her being stoned to death. So the idea that her father would have accepted her back with welcome arms had she have done something like that is actually a bit of a nonsense, which leads us to think that probably... She left because he'd done something. She was angry and she was angry enough and upset enough that she did the unthinkable and left her husband and went back to her dad. And it was enough that her dad said, of course, come and stay with me. Come and rest a while. Come and let me take care of you. And then the story carries on. So four long months later, which is quite a long time, actually, it turns out that the Levite decides that actually he'd quite like his concubine back. Thank you very much. And so he sets off on his donkey with a servant and he goes to her father's house. And the Bible tells us that she welcomed him in. So she's got her confidence. She feels in charge. She's able to invite him into her dad's house. And what follows is four days of feasting, actually, three or four days of feasting. And, um, And the Bible never tells us quite what happened, but it does suggest that actually the Levite had come to win her back, to speak to her heart when when a translation says, which suggests again, doesn't it, that she probably hadn't been out being a prostitute. If he was the one wanting to speak to her heart, probably he was the one who needed to do some apologising. Don't want to read too much into that, but essentially that's where we are. But over the next few days, we never really get to see what he says. The only conversations we get to read of are between him and his father-in-law and they have conversations and the dad keeps persuading him to stay one more night and one more night but eventually eventually the dad says okay okay you guys can go and the Levite packs up you know takes his concubine and his servant and his donkey and they go on their journey but they haven't really left in time to get home and so overnight gets a bit of a dangerous situation and they stop in this town where he hopes that they will be safe. But a a guy invites them into their home and says, look, you're not really safe out in the square. Come and stay with me, which sounds lovely. Sounds lovely. Uh, But what happens next is less lovely. You see the family go into the home and they begin to sit down. You can imagine, you know, the dinner coming out and they all begin to sit down and then there's this knocking on the door. And it's not just any old knocking. It is a loud banging, raucous, persistent knocking. And if this was a Netflix movie, this is where the music would begin to change. This is where everything that the producer and the film director could do would be to start to heighten the tension and to show you that something's afoot. You see, because at this point, the world begins to turn for this little family. As the voices that accompany the the knocking on the door say, Oi, we know that you've got some people in there. Send him out. Send the guy out so that we can do what we want with him. Now, I'll leave that to your imagination. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to imagine what they wanted. It didn't take a lot of imagination back then because the guy who'd taken them in, the host said, absolutely not. In fact, he uses really quite strong um, 
language. He says, no, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this outrageous thing. And so at this point, you begin to go, oh, it's going to be all right. And the music begins to fade in the background and the tension releases because actually it's going to be okay. The men aren't going to, you know, they aren't going to do something terrible to the Levite. It's all going to be all right. And then the man continues to speak. And at this point, the music, music builds all over again. And at this point, you just have to imagine how the concubine's heart began to sink. And not just her heart, the heart of all the women within that house. Because what this guy says next essentially is this. No, you can't have him. That's vile. But I tell you what, why don't you have his wife and my daughter and instead? And you can do whatever you like with them. What an extraordinary turnabout. Imagine being the women in the house, hearing the host step up and defend the man and then sacrifice them. What a betrayal. How much fear must have filled their hearts at that point. But how fascinating to hear that guy say, oh, don't do that vile thing to this man. It would be outrageous. But you can have the women. But he doesn't ever say, actually, it's all right to have the women. He does say, do what's right in your own eyes. He doesn't suggest for a minute it's what is right, just what's right in your own eyes. And there's this distorted, messed up difference in the way that this guy treats men and women. And it just deteriorates from here. Because the Levite doesn't turn around and go, absolutely not. That would be vile and that would be outrageous. What he does is grab his concubine, open the door, push her out and close the door behind her. What kind of man does that? What kind of person is able to sacrifice someone that they're there to love and protect in order to save their own skin? Like we can understand that he must have been in a heightened sense of fear himself. But still, but still, he sacrificed her to save himself. It's the antithesis, isn't it, of everything that we know God is. God who sent his son, Jesus, who allowed himself to be crucified to save the world. And this man, well, he sacrifices his wife to save himself. And the story just continues. It's devastating how it continues and that the Bible spares us the, the, the real details, but it's sufficient to know that this woman is abused all night. And in the early hours of the morning, as the sun begins to rise, the men finally tire of her and she makes her way back to the house where her husband lies, presumably asleep, although that is me reading into it. He may have been tossing and turning all night. And she never makes it through the door. He wakes up in the morning and finds her body lying with her hand stretched out towards the door. And his response to her in that moment isn't, oh, my darling, how are you? Or, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know what came over me. Or can you ever forgive me? He just tells her to get up. And when she doesn't, he picks up her body, throws it over his donkey and takes her home. And this is where she suffers one last indignity because this woman will not get a proper funeral. This woman will not have a lovely memorial service. This woman will not have, you know, her, her piece written in the Times and put out all about her, her obituary. Like this woman, 
is the woman whose body is taken and cut into 12 pieces and posted to the far corners of the nation. This is the woman who will be seen in all of her degradation by the whole of society. It's one final abuse and this man's outrage at what somebody has done to his property. So we now understand the circumstances that led to those horrific verses, this extraordinary, gruesome, gory situation that we find at the end of Judges 19. But it actually doesn't answer the question, does it? Because the real question is, what on earth is going on? What is happening? Like, nothing is okay in this story. Nothing makes it okay. It's possible, actually, that it's some of this muddle about what is going on in this story that led to that confusion around why she left her husband in the first place. Because, you see, there's something that we do when there's something that we don't like. You see, we, we can watch a story like this, we can read a story like this, we can hear a story like this, and it is so horrifying that we try to distance ourselves from it. <laughs> we don't want to read it. We don't want to preach on it. We don't want to read books about it. right? And what we definitely don't want to do is to imagine that it could ever happen to us or the people that we love, our mum, our sister, our daughter, our friend. Like, we don't want that to be true. It can't possibly be true. And so we start to come up with reasons why it couldn't, like reasons why that could never happen. And some of those reasons might be, well, 3,000 years ago, they were barbaric. But some of those reasons would be, well, you see, if somehow this is her fault, if we can somehow make her to blame for what happens, well, then that makes us feel a little bit safer. You see, if she did prostitute herself at the beginning, well, then maybe it's like she brought it on herself. And actually, that's something that we see happen a lot in the world around us, isn't it? Like victim blaming is a very normal thing. We turn around and we go, oh, well, you know, she drank so much. If she hadn't been wearing such a short skirt, if she hadn't have led him on, such and such and such and such wouldn't have happened. And actually what we're really doing is distancing ourselves from the story. We don't want it to be true. We don't want it to be possible. And so we make it somebody's fault because then as long as we don't do those things and our daughters and our mums and our friends don't do those things, then we're going to be okay. But it's victim blaming and it's not really looking at the actions of what's going on because it's not okay. It's not okay. The behaviour, what happened in Israel that night was not okay. What the Levite did that night was not okay. Actually, not even, not even if she had prostituted herself. And yet it's some of why we get there. We need to understand why this story is in the Bible. We need to understand what's going on. And actually, I think the only way we can understand is to step back for a minute and see the bigger picture. You see, this story comes right at the end of the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is set in this very particular time in the story of God. So if you know your Bible story at all, then you will have heard of Moses and Moses who rescued God's people from Egypt and he took them across the Red Sea and they camped in the you know wilderness for 40 years and then another great guy Joshua led God's people into the promised land and they took the land and they followed God well and then Joshua died and over the next period the period of the judges they had a whole different bunch of people who at various different points led them a little bit but actually, the story of the people of God at this point is of them spiralling away from God, like spiralling downwards in this descent into madness, frankly, where they kind of chase after God when they need something and then they forget him and they turn away. And actually, this whole story, it begins and ends 
with words that say this. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Or in another one, what was right in their own eyes. Like this isn't about doing what's right in God's eyes. This is a period of time when God's people were doing what they saw fit, what they thought was best for them in their eyes, according to them, not according to God. And the whole of Judges is a spiral down with this story sitting right at the pit of, of everything. It's this story that sits at the pit of like, what is the worst of mankind when it gets the furthest it possibly can from God? What does that look like? And that's where this story fits. This is what it looks like to live as far away from God as is humanly possible. This is what it looks like when you just do what's right in your eyes and not what's right in his eyes. And that's how you begin to understand this story. This isn't a story of following God. This is a story of running away from God. This is what happens when you ignore him. This is what happens to societies that don't look to him. They just degrade into violence and oppression and discrimination and abuse. And actually, as God's people, we're meant to model something different. We're meant to turn things around. But even understanding that, it's hard to put ourselves into this story, isn't it? Right. Most of us are sitting here. I would hope all of us are sitting here going, yeah, but I'd never do that. I wouldn't be like that Levite. I wouldn't. You know, I might tick my wife off sometimes. I might tick my husband off sometimes, but I'd never push her out to the baying mob. I'd never sacrifice her like that. I wouldn't sacrifice anybody like that. I wouldn't dream of it. But actually, actually, it matters that we stop and we're honest with ourselves for a second. You see, we might not be exactly like that guy, but without God, we simply can't be the people that we're meant to be. You know, without Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit in us, we can't challenge the abusive cultures that exist in the world all around us. We might like to think we'd never push our spouse out into the square with, you know, such horrible men out there. But we do struggle to put their needs before our own sometimes, don't we? There is a reality. We struggle showing selfless hospitality. We struggle welcoming strangers into our homes, into our communities. Let's be honest. Sometimes we struggle keeping welcoming into our church and our friendship groups. Let's be real here. And we do struggle to control the desires, our desires. In fact, sometimes we let our desires control us. We eat too much, we drink too much, we party too much. We like we, we too much of so many different things. And we might look at this story in horror and go, I would never do that, but we deceive ourselves because just like the men in this story, we need God and his Holy Spirit ruling in our lives in order to help us to be free from our selfish sin, to be able to start transforming ourselves to look more and more like Jesus. We need him to spread the gospel with urgency if we're to change the world and stop things like this happening all around us. And actually it matters that we step back and we listen to the challenge of the men of Israel at the end of this. You see, the truth is this story is a one-off in some respects. It's a story that caught everyone's attention. It's a story that caught their attention in a way that it got recorded for all of history, you know, written into the into the history books of Israel. And the men of Israel are horrified. Such a thing has never been seen or done. And yet the truth is, on a smaller scale, in other ways, in other houses, things like this were going on all around them. But this had caught their attention much like the murder of George Floyd, you know, back in June, caught the attention of the world. He was not the only black man to be oppressed and abused. And yet his story ignited 
this whole, you know, response globally where people went, this has to stop. And this story is really similar. It's kind of like this similar story happening in Israel all that all those years ago. And the Israelites went, oh my word, this must stop. We must speak up. We must do something. And we still must speak up and do something. And that is what sits at the heart of all that my organisation, Restored, stands for. It's that thing of saying, do you know what? One of the greatest problems in the world is that women have been maltreated throughout history. And it's such a part of the problem is the fact that we don't even acknowledge it. We don't even talk about it and it's time that we did it's time that we made judges 1930 a challenge for each and every one of us just imagine we must do something so speak up so we are speaking up you see the problem is still real it's so easy i said it already to think oh gosh that would never happen today there are some statistics that i need to tell you globally 15 million adolescent girls, that's girls aged between 15 to 19, have experienced forced sex. And 9 million of those experienced it in the last year. And actually, those statistics are probably even worse this year because of coronavirus and the impact that that's had on violence against women and girls. In 2017, 87,000 women were killed around the world and over half of those were killed by intimate partners or family members. And when you begin to do the maths on that, that means that 137 women die each day because a member of their family killed them. And actually the statistic is there's another way of looking at it. More women and girls lost their lives because of gender violence. So simply because they were girls in the last 50 years than all the men killed in all the wars of the 20th century. Makes you think, doesn't it? One last way of looking at it. More girls were killed in the last decade simply because they were girls than in all the genocides of the 20th century. Like, I wouldn't mind betting you didn't know those things. And it is part of the problem that we don't talk about it, that we don't know it, that we don't recognise it. Because I think if we did, then when we read that Israelites challenge to stand up and speak up and do something, we might actually do that. But actually, let's bring those statistics even closer to home. You see, because some of that stuff happens in other countries, but it happens in this, in this country too. Two women a week are killed by their partners or, or, or you know, intimate partners in domestic abuse. Two women a week. In fact, the beginning of lockdown, that went up to near five women a week. That's shocking, isn't it? And actually, if you look across the UK, then one in four women will suffer abuse at the hands of an intimate partner at some point in their life. And as Restored, we did research within the church because we wondered, well, is the church a safer place? Do we model better relationships? Are we better at this than, the, than, than other people? And the devastating discovery was actually those rates are exactly the same in the church. One in four women in the church will experience abuse at the hands of an intimate partner. It's shocking, isn't it? But the other thing that we discovered was this. Two in seven people, only two in seven people, think that their church would be a safe place to go and report abuse to. 
Like that's why we exist. That's why restored exists. Restored exists to say it's time to step up and do something. It's time to speak up. It's time. It's time to make sure that we know what's going on. It's time to say this church is a safe place. This church will not stand for that kind of treatment. This church stands for relationships where where there's mutual submission this church stands for relationships where love sits at the heart of everything where we don't accept behavior that is controlling and coercive where we don't accept um we don't allow um for people to think that it's okay to have control over one another that actually we are going to model what it looks like to to do relationships well and we're going to say that if you are in a situation that doesn't look like that then it is safe to come and talk to us and we will support you and we will help you to get safe and we will help you to get all the support that you need all around you and we will say no to this kind of violence, this kind of oppression. And so as an organisation, we do training, we provide resources and we do all kinds of things. And actually, before I finish, I'd love to ask you to be able to stand with us if that is something that you'd like to get involved with. And I'm going to put um, the details on the screen so that you can, can find out more about who we are and the work that we do. But I want to challenge you very personally too. I want to say, what can you do to speak up and to do something? What would it look like in your life to look out for the people in your community, to walk alongside people who are wrestling in situations that are abusive? What would it look like to provide a safe place for them? What would it look like to make, to make people know that you're a safe person to talk to? What would that sound like? What would it look like to challenge people who speak in ways that encourage there to be some kind of oppression? What would that look like to challenge friends when they put their spouses down? What would it look like to say, hey, don't speak to, about them like that. Don't speak to them like that. Don't leave them to get on with all the work like that. What would that look like? What does it look like to just imagine, to do something and to speak up? What would that be for you? I'm gonna leave you with that question. And I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hope that you have a really great rest of your day. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are a God of justice. You are a God who loves each of us as individuals uniquely, that you give us each value and honour, that you consider us precious. Help us to be consumed by that same kind of passion for people, to be able to see each other, people who are different to us, people we don't understand, but to still be able to see them with all the value that you have bestowed upon each of us from the moment that you created us. Help us to treat people with the respect and dignity and honour that they are due as image bearers of the most holy God. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember that as we choose to find the courage to speak up and to do something when we see people being mistreated around us. Help us not to stand by and look the other way. Help us not to turn our eyes from things that are uncomfortable. Help us to be carriers of your light and carriers of your peace. Help us to change the world, to make it a place that looks an awful lot more like your kingdom here on earth. Amen. Take care. Well, a huge thanks to Becca. And I, I want to encourage uh, you and, and, and me as well to take that challenge to be a, a person of courage, also a person who's a, a safe place. And I want us, our church to be a safe place. So... I want us to, to be praying about that, to be open for that. 
Also, if you want to speak to someone, uh, if you're on the church online, you can press the, the uh, prayer tab and someone would um, be really happy to chat with you or make contact with us. Um, but we want to be that place where we, we see God's love really working through in all that we do. So thanks again to Becca. And I want to just bless you for the rest of the day and uh, enjoy this bank holiday weekend.